Every day, 34 people in their 20s and 30s are diagnosed with cancer. On the 7th of July 2015, I was one of the 34. On the 28th of August 2008, I was one of the 34. But in Series 2, we're going younger. We're teaming up with Teenage Cancer Trust to bring you seven new storytellers. As seven 13 to 24-year-olds are diagnosed every day. So, Series 2 focuses on them. These are the stories of what happens afterwards. This is Afterthoughts. The teenage years. Hi, Alice. Hi, Toby. How are you? Um, yeah, still in, still in partial lockdown. What? Oh yeah. my days! How I can't imagine why. Yeah, you know, um, I thought when we'd start series two of Afterthoughts that we would be, uh, I'd be back in, back in your house, enjoying mm. um, some nice cakes that you've made, maybe a soup that you, you sometimes made a soup and stuff like that, but not but no case. such luck. Here we are still talking to each other via Zoom. I think you're the person I've seen most on Zoom Aww. over the last like nine months or whatever it is. Is that a, uh, a good thing or a bad thing? Well, TBC. TBC, great, wonderful. <laughs> but we are, we are back. We're here for series two of Afterthoughts uh, and Afterthoughts, the teenage years. Yeah, and I am so pumped for this series like we um have been lucky enough to be we're supported this time by a teenage cancer trust and we have pulled together a collection of brilliant storytellers for you and um not for you toby for the listeners and um yeah it it feels good to be back behind the microphone it's really interesting as well having a different um uh insight into something because i i was diagnosed when i was 19 and you were mm-hmm. diagnosed when you were 26 26 but i i was never in a like a teenage ward or anything like that i was straight away into like a, a, a young, well an adult ward in mm-hmm. the hospital i was in so it's going to be really interesting this series hearing about teenagers who have gone through this experience and differences and things that they have gone through but I just think we're all going to learn so much yeah and we've got a really nice spread of ages as well haven't we like kind of current ages and ages at diagnosis and I think yeah we're going to learn loads um I think you and I are going to get a lot of insights and you know we're we're part of the cancer community and I can only imagine how valuable some of these conversations and some of these stories will be for people who maybe aren't in the cancer community Mm. before we before we uh, tell uh, listeners about our first storyteller um should just like what's what's been going on with you alice you know if uh, any updates for you <sighs> that was a that was a big exhalation i don't know you know i think it, it's been such a strange time and um i've spent a lot of time just you know I, i'm going to be perfectly honest here i've spent a lot of time just trying to keep my head above the water um and i think lots of people will feel the same i saw somebody use um a word on social media the other day that really resonated with me they said that they'd been feeling rudderless and I think that in the time of COVID rudderless is a really good word you know our sense of direction is maybe different to what it usually is and yeah I've been working and writing and doing some fun stuff um but yeah just trying to get through every day I guess what about you tell us tell tell me tell us about 
What's been going on with you? Well, mainly my big thing is uh, my slight obsession with houseplants. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. I, I don't have a garden. Uh, I live in an attic flat in uh, London and um, uh, have really missed that that green thing. And I have got mm. slightly addicted to houseplants. It's kind of the thing that's got me through lockdown. Um, I think it's been really, yeah, it has been really interesting seeing the impact on the cancer community, uh, mm-hmm. like, and it's had de- devastating impacts on a lot of charities, and mm. a lot of uh, of the young people that we see probably more than we would older people, but seeing lots of young people who have been facing difficulties because of what has happened, and um, and people who, yeah, have had treatment stopped, and it's been really difficult. And we've done some uh, amazing projects with some young people over. Uh, lockdown and um, looking forward to those things going out we've got the post patient post uh, which is uh, a piece which we were building with uh, six uh, post patients which I don't know you know that might be a a new thing we'll we'll push rather you know I don't know if that's good good... I I am so excited to see the post patient post office in in full flow and I am very excited for people who might be listening to see that as well when it comes to fruition that's been built with six young adults over lockdown and it's going to be going into hospitals uh, very soon. Even maybe it's gone out by the time we've started this, this Ooh. kind of pilot of this project. And uh, it's a bit like um, afterthoughts, really, Alice, you know, it's peer to peer storytelling. And we're going to talk about peer to peer storytelling and peer to peer support with our first storyteller. Alice, should we go straight into uh, hear from Bav? Yeah, let's do it. Hello and welcome to the second series of Afterthoughts. Um, it's so exciting to be back uh, behind the mic and uh, actually doing this. Um, it feels we, weird. Like, does, I know it's not that long since we did it, but it does feel weird. It, it, yeah, really weird. But uh, today we are so excited uh, to kick off series two, the teenage years, um, with Bav. And Bav, uh, you are where are you call, where are you zooming in from? Because we are zooming at the moment still. I'm zooming in from Hertfordshire. <laughs> from Hertfordshire, and and you are in your first term of university, right? Yep, hundred percent. What what a time to be starting university! Oh my goodness, it must have been quite an adjustment period, eh? It was honestly. I was so worried because obviously this year, if you don't, I feel like if. Yeah, like I was just scared I wasn't gonna get on with anyone to be honest. Because obviously it's like a lot of it's gonna be virtual. And yeah. I can't te- I'm such a different person over like typing rather than being <laughs> in person. Like I can't type for anyone. I'd rather be there, be physically like talking. Yeah, I I can't I just thinking back to my first year at uni, like that it, it was weird enough being away from home, away from my family, and then like throw in you know, having to self-isolate and all of that kind of stuff. It just, yeah, it's a it's a completely different kettle of fish, isn't it? Yeah, and especially when you're, like, trying to be extra careful, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Walking to the kitchen with your wipes and your gloves and your wipes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. And this is something we've talked about and thought about quite a lot. You know, COVID has had a particular impact on, on people who've had cancer or are going through cancer treatment at the moment. So, yeah, you just have to think about things a bit differently, don't you? 100% it's all about infection risk and I guess in, the, in this field we've had so many lectures already on like infection risk being careful so I guess we're all prepped and ready so would you like to tell the listeners about the field that you're studying 
So I am, interestingly enough, <laughs> studying radiotherapy and oncology. That's very cool. Very cool. Um, right. Should we, should we make a start? Well, we always kick off uh, our episodes, Bev, with uh, the human before the cancer. And so we really like we, we have our, our quick fire questions. Now, uh, after the controversy of uh, series one's questions, we've decided to um, to mix them up. Uh, some of them like we've mixed up a mushroom soup and uh, put it all to the side I never want to hear about mushroom soup again never want to hear about mushroom soup again um so and also because we didn't want any of our uh series two storytellers to already know the answers uh to the questions you know mm-hmm. so we, like we've there are a few few from uh last series that we've kept in but they are uh, uh yeah there's there's some fresh ones in there you're really hamming this up, Toby. Really hamming this up. Okay. And just <laughs> as ever, there is only one wrong answer, and that wrong answer is mushroom, mushroom soup. Mushroom soup. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to kick us off, Bav, uh, could you tell us, please, your pronouns that you use? Um, him, he. Thank Perfect. You. Who do people say that you look like? Um <laughs> Do you know, do you know who plays um, Caesar Flickerman in the games? Stanley Tucci. I think it's him. So someone said that I um, someone has said that once, but that's literally it. I've never had it before. Like that's the only. Th- oh my god, Stanley Tucci is the best. He's great. I would take it and run. Take it and run. That's the only one I've ever had. <laughs> Brilliant. And next question: If you could be any toy. What toy would you be? Um, if I could be any toy, what toy would I be? Probably my Mickey Mouse with the spinning hat and all the lights that come off the hat. So it's the button you press and it's the Mickey Mouse. He's dressed in a wizard's gear and he's got a wizard's hat on and he just spins around. There's loads of lights coming off his hat. <laughs> From that Fantasia. From Fantasia, right? Maybe. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, what's your favourite biscuit? Um, oh, good one. Um, probably, should I go basic and just say a chocolate digestive? Oh, can't go wrong with a chocolate digestive. Simple, but effective. <clears throat> um, if you could teleport anywhere, where would you teleport? Um, I'd probably go to Sydney, the Opera House. Nice. Um, what is your go-to dish to either cook or eat? If you say mushroom soup, you're out. <laughs> I wish I did then. No. <laughs> it's, um, basically, my mom makes these stuffed patties, and they're called brote. And like, there's one with like a potato filling, and there's one with like all these other herbs and spices. They're like my favourite food in the whole world. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm coming around to your mum's for tea. Um, come on. <laughs> Uh, And last question, cat or dog? (laughs) Probably dog. Ooh, brilliant. Interesting. Interesting. I'm going to be interested to see what the cat versus dog tally is at the end of the series. Yeah, that will be interesting. I've never had a pet. I've never had either. So it's going for interaction. And I feel like I've had better experiences with dogs than cats. Interesting, interesting.
Bav, please will you tell us, before we move on to the storytelling section, uh, please will you tell us um, your age now and a little bit, maybe just one line about your diagnosis? So I am now 19. I almost said 18, so my birthday was like two weeks ago. So they will say 18, um, but I'm 19. Um, and I was diagnosed with lymphoma non-Hodgkin's in 2015. And how old were you in 2015? I was, um, I want to say I was 13. I'm sure I was 13, either 12 or 13. My memory is not good. (laughs) Chemo brain. We are going to begin by um, talking about beyond a diagnosis. And we know um, so much about the kind of moment you hear the words, you have cancer or whatever that version might be for you. But we don't necessarily hear what happens afterwards. So, Bav, we would love to hear a story from you about what happens beyond that diagnosis. Over to you. So I feel like after you're told, it's like a really obvious, like intense experience and obviously people react in different ways but I feel like that day like after it all happened and everything I kind of wanted like normality in a sense it's like it was just like getting in the car going back not knowing what to say or like how to process it completely because obviously given all this big whack of information and I remember I had a music lesson that day so instead of like cancelling it, I was like, oh, I may as well just kind of just like go and see her. Because I know this, this, like my music teacher has known me since I was three. Like I've literally been having music lessons since I was three. Because my sister um, went to her, so I like, started off on the recorder and then I moved on to piano. <laughs> so I've been playing piano for a while. I'm not, I'm not amazing by any means <laughs> at all. Um, and she'd probably tell you this today. She'd say that oh, he never practices. She's not really wrong. Um, but then I don't remember going there, like my parents stayed with me and we kind of spoke with her for a little bit. And then I kind of talked to her. I don't think much piano playing happened. But it was kind of just like a nice like little chat. Cause she was like, I think she was probably like one of the first people who like we actually kind of like spoke to about it. And it was kind of a strange day. And then I remember after that, it was um, I'm sure. It was one of my cousin's birthdays. If the, if it wasn't that day, it was one of the days around then. But like everyone comes round, you have a cake, you fry some like Indian snacks and you have like food. And everyone's just like sit there, stood around. Everyone's like talking, just getting along, taking pictures and videos. And it's honestly all just one big blur that night is. All I remember is thinking is like, okay, that's, these are the same people. These are, they're always going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, because we weren't sure exactly what treatment plan I was going to have. So obviously like in those, like my um, diagnosis was quite, I wouldn't, it was quite rare, like um, the type of lymphoma I had and I hadn't seen it in a while. So they were unsure of what was actually going to happen. They weren't sure if it was just going to be another surgery or, you know, typical stuff. They just needed to have an MDT meeting like the team multidisciplinary meeting to find out what the next steps were so I was like I don't really want to tell anyone because why worry people unnecessarily and that's how I see it personally and I don't like I one of the things I really don't like are people asking are you okay every five minutes I want to be treated normally so I was like just have a bit of normality I kind of went and for that little bit you kind of just felt like 
there's something different inside of me but at the same time I'm the same person so I guess it was kind of nice just kind of just seeing everyone and I guess that that was the first time I actually started appreciating the people around me a lot more like I looked around and I was like wow like these are my family and that was especially like when I went back to school like the next day so I didn't go to school the day and I was told I was like going back after like seeing all like my family having my music lesson I was like okay like this is just nothing's changed like something has changed and I had apprehension but at the same time life is still gonna go on like I'm lucky that I'm still here like life is still going on and I guess that's what it was it's kind of every day you kind of look around and life is still carrying on although this has happened and although your head's a bit of a blur at the end of the day there is still there's not there's no I don't know how you really define normality, but there was still that kind of stability in my life for that period of time after I was after I found out. It's that reminder you have to keep reminding yourself. Like obviously, I'm not I'm not acting like I was completely fine because I wasn't. Yeah. By by no means was I. I was shouting and screaming when I found out, and then afterwards I was like, okay, right. Like I was obviously really anxious, but it was that constant thing like, okay, I'm here. Like I'm we're gonna have to deal with this, but not everything changed not everything is going to change not everything has to change it's just one thing that's changing yeah it's remembering that i think is the most important thing so our next uh story that we are going to be focusing on on afterthoughts teenage years is those around us and those around us focuses on the stories of those people who go through the experience with us we know that cancer affects not only the person who's going through it but those people who are around them as well so Bav, we're going to go to you for a story of uh, those who are around you so i guess i'll probably start this one um and it's going to be around me, like one of the main people throughout my cancer treatment. Although she didn't have anything to do, she had, she had very, she didn't have as much to do with my treatment plan. And I didn't have much contact with her when I was actually having my treatment. It's the consultant who was at my local hospital where I wasn't treated. I was treated in the Birmingham Children's, but she was like an anchor almost at home. So I first met her, um, pre-diagnosis um when I went to my local hospital just with um lymph nodes in my neck and it wasn't actually her who I was seeing I was seeing a general pediatrician and it just happened that the pediatrician called um her in without me knowing that she was an oncologist we didn't have no idea at the time and she was called in just to take a look that was another my first ever memory of her that's like vivid of her kind of running into the treatment room being like yeah what can I do having a look being like okay and then going then after that the next time I remember seeing her was probably a, a long time after I think it was I must have seen her like once or twice whilst I was having treatment but as far as I can remember it was post-treatment and I guess that's where it all starts um so I'd obviously had a lot of involvement with Teenage Cancer Trust, um, seen them a lot. They'd introduced me to a lot of different things, a lot of new people. Um, and I'd made like a few connections, but not, I did obviously have like friends with them, but I remember when they mentioned something about a sailing trip. And then my consultant, this wonderful lady asked me again about the sailing trip. 
and I was like oh I'm not sure if that's for me I'm not sure how I am on boats I'm a bit iffy like I'm not sure how I'm gonna get on I was really anxious and she was like okay she's like Bab you're going on this trip she goes we're going we're going together next thing you know my mom's packed all of my bags for me um getting in the car pull up at the station you ready to go and I was bricking it I did not want to go at all I do get homesick quite fast now I've got a big reliance on my parents I could call them multiple times a day and I remember her saying to my mom and dad um they were like he'll be fine I remember my mom saying make sure you push him a little bit make sure you make push him out of his comfort zone and make him do new things and she goes don't worry we've got that sorted and I kind of like remembers being there and she's like, hey, you're going to be fine. She's like, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. Or you're going to have fun. You're going to have the best week of your life. And I was like, I'm not. And I got it in my head. I was like, I'm not going to enjoy this. This is going to be such a waste of time. I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing here. And it was honestly one of the best weeks of my entire life. I remember it so vividly. I remember at first I was very clingy to my consultant. I was like, okay, so you're going there. And I was like, I'm just next door then. So I can run across if I need anything. She's like, no, you're not going to run across if you need anything. Your people are on this boat. If you need anything, you talk to them. She's very like, you're going to be fine. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy it. And I remember the first few days I was kind of a bit, oh, and then I started to like make friends, like I was opening up a bit more and it was, I was starting to have fun and I was starting to like make connections, starting to make those memories, which I still have now. And I've still got those friends as well, fair few of them, still talk to them, There's especially two of them, I speak to them every day without a doubt. And then we go forward and I remember it was on the third day of the trip and there was a surprise. I hate surprises with a passion. I do not enjoy a surprise. Very, very few surprises in my eyes go right. Staying there and being there on the side of this thing, waiting for this so-called surprise. And I was like, what is gonna happen? And these jet skis come around the um, corner, not jet skis, I'd have forgotten what they're called. Like speedboat things. And I was like, I'm not getting on that. I am not getting on that. She's like, yes, you are. She goes, everyone's doing it. She goes, come on, let's go. We're going. And I remember getting on. And at first I was holding onto the seat in front of me for dear life. My hands are probably starting to swell up from how tight I was holding on. Ever since then, every trip we've been on, if I ever get a chance to go on the rib, I'm always on it. I always like being at the front. I absolutely love it now. Just little things like that where she like kind of when people were like you're going to enjoy it just do it just have a go if you don't like it you don't have to do it is ever since then I've actually started to open up and start doing things like this myself like from from around then because it was obviously someone I really trusted who was telling me just to do it you're going to be fine I feel like since then I've had to put that position on myself and then ever since then every single year I've had the chance to have gone back to Ellen MacArthur I now honestly like I know I keep saying it, my three, three of my closest friends are from those trips. We adore each other. I FaceTime one of them in particular every single day I talk to her without a doubt. And it's, I was just thinking, I always think back, if I didn't go on that trip, I wouldn't know these people. And second of all, I feel like those trips, especially having the consultant there as well, it made me kind of realise I'm fine. And that's when I made my connections I think on the whole with that and the Teenage Cancer Trust kind of events 
that's when I like realized okay there's other people who've been through this and we're in it together and they actually understand what I've been through it's not like other people saying we know what you've been through because no at the end of the day we all have different experiences so no one truly knows what you've been through but yourself but I feel like these people we were actually relating with each other and it was so nice and yeah I love it and that consultant every time I wasn't her favourite patient at all times because I was a medical mystery in her eyes. The amount of stuff that went wrong with me, she, even she was amazed most of the time. But I remember um, my last um, appointment, it wasn't in person, it was on the phone. My last proper appointment with her has been and gone, but I will never forget her. She's honestly such an amazing person. She's great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And now we're going to move on to talking about the invisible impacts. Um, So, you know, there's so much stuff that happens around a cancer diagnosis and um, there's lots of stuff that gets talked about and there's lots of stuff that doesn't get talked about so much. And uh, we want to hear some of the invisible impacts. So, Bav, I'm going to hand over to you to tell us a story about some of your invisible impacts. I'm going to start this when I was actually on treatment. So Birmingham Children's is far from my house. It takes a good like hour in the morning, sometimes even like an hour and 20. So we always used to leave at like 20 to 8 just so we'd get there on time for 9. And like obviously I sometimes made us really late, but that's beyond the point. Um, (laughs) So I remember kind of like, so you park up, but there's no so where it is like the children's any it's all changed now but like the where when I was having treatment the children's any was there so you couldn't park the car near the actual thing so you we used to park outside like this random shop and it was just kind of dingy looking a bit depressing um and the walk down to the hospital it was kind of like a slope but it wasn't and they had these owls there once because it was a big owl trail and I remember there was just like this owl was there once and as you walk down you sometimes get to walk there's two ways to go one way was past the Birmingham Children's Hospital shop and I was just like sometimes go in and just get like a pen or something every time we'd go in and then there was the other way which was the way you'd go down it was really cold in sometimes in the mornings but like it'd get really hot in the days and the corridor was like blue and the floor was just weird and then you kind of walk in and the waiting room was directly to your right when you walk in and there's like these like sofa kind of looking things there's a rocking horse and then there was the um reception desk was like hit your eye as soon as you looked in and then normally you have to like sit there for a bit wait and then you'd walk down the corridor past the bell you'd ring after you finish treatment and then you'd walk past the bead station, which is that way you put your beads on. So every time you have a different thing, like an immunization or whatever, you used to put beads on this thing. So like, oh yeah, if you have your line flushed, it was one color, dose of chemo, it was another color. And like your whole journey is represented in these beads. I love them like so much. I love, I still got mine, look at them like all the time. And so you walk past them and you walk past all like the rooms where they do your um, obs and stuff. I was, in the day warden's particular day and there was this girl I'd seen her a few times she must have been about like 
five or six, I'm not really 100% sure. And she was always there with her mum. And there was also two younger children um, with them. And it was in, so my, a lot of my treatment was done in um, school, sorry, school holidays. So um, obviously like childcare, there wasn't school for the kids to be at. It was hard. And I remember the mum saying like how difficult it had been on her. So they'd actually, she'd actually like quit her job um it was difficult on like the work-life balance because obviously she could no longer work and there was no childcare facilities for the other siblings they were all kind of like stuck in a it wasn't don't get me wrong Birmingham Children's is lovely but it is not the place where you want young kids to spend their summer holidays it's just not a place you want to be in like it's it's so like it's they make it as homely as they can but at the end of the day it's a clinical environment and I guess it was looking at them and then looking at what I had and I'm honestly so fortunate I don't ever I don't think I ever say how lucky I am to be in the position I'm in my parents are both wonderful um, we were able to manage on like that kind of front like my dad was still able to go to work my mom could stay with me every time we needed anything we knew we could call my grandma we could call my aunts and uncles we could call the, everyone was there for us the drop of a heart my friends were there for me everyone was there I was so blessed on that front and then I looked at them and it really like hit home how lucky like I am as a person how fortunate I am to be in this position and as you go on you meet more people you think wow I was a lucky one like obviously this still happened but if this hadn't had how hadn't have happened I wouldn't have realized the position I'm in and therefore it's from then I kind of realized I want to help people who've been in a similar thing I want to pay pay it back all the support that I received in any way I could I wanted to give it back so I, that's when I first started like volunteering with Teenage Cancer Trust and I absolutely loved it absolutely enjoyed it I've never done anything like it's so it's rewarding because you you feel like you're doing something you feel like you're being proactive like I'm the kind of person I like doing physical things I like talking as you've probably established from this um I'm very big on my voice um and it was like wow I can actually do something to help other people and I guess it was when I found this degree I'm very into like technology I like technology a lot I like seeing like the new advancements in the field um especially in radiotherapy it's something that's always fascinated me but it was then when I found this degree, I was like, wow, there's also such a big patient care side of it. I absolutely love it. Like I've done some work experience where I've been, where you have to interact with lots of different people from all different backgrounds. And I feel like nothing is as div as diverse as a cancer ward. So at the end of the day, cancer doesn't discriminate. And it was kind of like, I can actually do something. I can talk to people. I can make their day better as like I can I can be that one person who they can like see in the morning and that could improve their whole experience like if I have the power to actually do something in this field where I'm being proactive and then but you also get that reminder like not everyone's as lucky as you so you should always do the little you can 
to help someone else that to make someone else's day I'm guilty of this obviously we all are being like oh I can't be bothered oh I hate my life da, 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 da. but then it hits you no I don't hate my life I'm so lucky I'm so blessed to be where I am and I feel like that is kind of one of the beautiful things that this whole experience taught me to be honest yeah so I guess the overall invisible impact was ended up me changing my whole life path Um, so the next section of Afterthoughts, we are introducing a new section um, called Teenage Kicks. Uh, and we're really wanting to focus on those stories that a teenager who has had cancer will have experienced and will have had um, compared to some, a teenager who hasn't gone through that. We're really uh, interested to hear we were thinking about, and from series one, Dan, uh, who was involved, really talked about the fact that when they were diagnosed, that there was suddenly this wall went up and it meant that they were suddenly on the other side of the wall and others didn't understand what was going on. And so we're interested to hear the stories that are behind the wall. How did that sound, Alice? <laughs> Perfect. Great. <laughs> um, so, Bav, we're, we're going to head over to you for a story in our, the first section of Teenage Kit so I guess one thing that I had which a lot of cancer patients probably related to is having a CVL in Hickman line everyone calls me different things I've honestly lost the plot um, <laughs> um but like I feel like most people would relate with central central line or Hickman line most people probably understand that it was having that in and that's probably one of my least favorite obviously having treatment is just nasty but for me in particular I love my showers I know that sounds really strange I love showering I do it as a hobby these days um and it was when they had when you had the line and they're like okay you can't shower for blah amount of time and I was like oh I can't do that can't do this then it was like okay it's just just a showering that's going to be an issue like having to bandage it up every time it's fine having it flushed I can deal with and then I was like, actually this line is actually starting to play on my mind a bit now because I'm starting to realize I can't go to theme parks because I'm scared it's going to get pushed in or something I don't want to go I can't go swimming obviously because the line's there and it wasn't the line isn't supposed to restrict you. It's, that's not what it's there for. It's there to actually help you with your treatment. That's a given. But there's a lot of like things that you don't realise until it's in. Because before it's in, you're always like, oh, it's going to be fine. It's just something that's there. But it's always con subconsciously, you're always thinking, okay, my, is my line okay? Like I, sometimes I just chat, like quickly look down my shirt and be like, okay, it's fine. It's there, like it's not being pulled or anything. Or, oh, I better go and change my bandage now. Like I can feel it's starting to go a bit. Every, every, every 10, 20 minutes, especially for the first like two, three, four weeks was focused on my line. Even when I went back to school in September, my line is all I was checking on. No one else had to think about this. No one else had to consider their line. Everyone else could do whatever they wanted to do. They could go swimming, they could play their football or whatever. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to act like I was sporty before. I wasn't, I wouldn't have played football anyway, let's be real. Um, but it was just simple things. I like even having my school bag on my back 
I'd just be like, oh, I don't want to port my line. And my friends were great about that. They would like always help me out and do what they could. But there was that subconscious thing about, oh, I can't do certain things now. Like I want to, if I wanted to do a charity skydive, I couldn't. So then it was like, oh, what can I do that isn't going to impact this at all? And I know this sounds random because there's plenty of things I could have done, but I turned to baking. It was one of my sister's favourite things anyway. Then I hopped on the trend. And next thing you know, we were making a cake a day, even though I wasn't supposed to be eating that much sugar. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was kind of my hobby, my pastime. We used to make them for the um, nurses sometimes and the doctors, like when I was on treatment, because it brightened their day up and then I'd get happy seeing that they were happy. And then um, I was like, oh, what could I actually do with this that could do something even more? And that's when I first started doing charity, like, stuff for teenage cancer trust and that first thing was actually bake sale at school so I'd just gone back and I remember the night before I'd organized it for some posters around school and um and then my friends made some one of my friends made brownies and the other one of my friend made cupcakes and I was at home going overboard my mom made me and my mom my sister made a chocolate cake a Victoria sponge cupcakes we went a bit crazy and then I remember going to school and setting it all up and it was a bit of fun but it was just nice to know that it was fun that was actually going to make an impact I mean we only raised 50 quid I mean it's not a massive amount of money at all by any means it was just showing how easily you could turn something you enjoy into something that's going to help others as well like it's just little things like that that have always played in my head that unless I'd been through this I wouldn't have thought about things like that and yeah I still bake now sometimes although my mom's taken over slightly but her cakes are good I can't even lie to you um yeah I still like making odd fondant every now and again but that's kind of yeah if you were in the tent and you had to take something to the gingham altar and present it to Paul Hollywood and Prue Leith what would your showstopper be it's a big question I know <laughs> I don't know I'd want to go for something basic my favorite thing to make is a chocolate fondant and I know they never go right on any tv show at home nine times out of ten I've managed to get it right now because I make them that much that is a skill my friend that is that is quite a skill I'm yeah if you can make a chocolate fondant I'm impressed (laughs) my favorite thing to make every time I go home now I'm like fondants 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 you'll have to make them for your new flatmates and then they'll they will love you (laughs) <laughs> you guys are gonna have to come as well come and try them yeah <laughs> oh my days toby what were you gonna well i have with? to share like when you were telling like i love afterthoughts as well for this reason as well where like like you tell a story and then suddenly i'm like oh i forgot all about this i have to tell you about this so i i forgot that like so when i i was at um e15 a drama school when i i was diagnosed and um, i came back and people knew what had happened and I was having treatment alongside it. And, but there was this other guy who uh, also wanted to raise some money for, I think for Millen and um, he'd sadly lost his mum to cancer quite recently. And he, he asked me if we wanted to, to team up so we could raise some funds for these things. And I was like, yeah, okay. And because we were in a drama school, they were like, okay, so we're going to do like this. I think we did like a fashion walk slash like talent show. And I remember I've just like flashbacks to I was dancing in a morph suit 
to uh, Lady Gaga, like with these other guys, like and, and doing that. But the the big thing, which I always remember, and is like to this day, we still kind of like speak about the ridiculous thing that one of my best friends did, which was that. So he was um, dating this girl, and they decided to sing a song. And uh, like, I was like, cool, great, sing a song. He was like, it's from Les Mits. And I was like, cool, great. He's a brilliant singer. I was like, fantastic. So picture this, we're in this like dance studio and there are two different ends of this like catwalk and they're staring into each other's eyes and they are singing empty chairs at empty tables. Uh, and it's like empty chairs and empty tables and it's just a song about people dying and it was just so awkward and like because they were just staring intensely at each other but singing this song about like people dying and at a cancer charity gig and everybody was just sitting there so awkwardly going why why would you do this so you just brought that back for me and I had to share it I had to share that moment Ah, oh, thank good. you for that. Oh, I felt really good to share that story. That's made me feel good. <laughs> that was a good story. Oh my good. goodness. We are coming on now to the topic of lost conversations. And as I always say when I'm introducing this segment, um, the cancer community are getting really good at talking about things um, and especially the young cancer community I think you know with the advent of social media um, we're getting great at shining a light on some topics but we can always do more so Bav um, we would be really interested to hear um, a story from you about the lost conversations that you think we should be having. So I think the most important thing in my eyes is being able to if for instance if you've got something on your chest or you think something's happening to you if you can relate to someone who's been through a similar experience and they can be like that happens to me too that is such a great thing to have like I feel like that is one of the most special things to have although you're not necessarily relating about something good like going on holiday or something, you're relating about cancer and cancer treatment and cancer side effects. It's still so lovely to have that connection. So one of my like biggest people, biggest parts in my life is my friend Tash. So she, we were both at similar ages when we were both diagnosed from completely different parts of the country, from like the hundred and something miles away from each other. Um, had no idea who she was at the time, didn't never, it was honestly, we met through, I'm pretty sure it was Ellen MacArthur actually, and that and Teenage Cancer Trust. And we went really close to start off with, we were just like friends. And as time's gone on, we have become so close. And she's that person, we could literally just be on the FaceTime or we could like, when I met up with her once or twice, it's just like, oh, so how are you? Like, what's going on? Although we didn't have exactly the same treatment at all, we didn't have the exact same cancer. We had similar cancers. Her treatment was completely different to mine. She's a completely different person to me. We still relate on some things, like some side effects of treatment. We relate on like, oh, did this happen to you too? Like when you were on treatment, yeah. Or do you, do, oh, have you got, like, had your transition clinic appointment? 
has this happened to you has this happened to you? like all these little things that can actually make a big difference because something could be playing on my mind like oh I've googled this side effect of my treatment like or I'm feeling a bit weird like why why is it not coming up on the internet and then we're on FaceTime and I'll be like yeah this happened to me and then she turns around and she goes stop and I'll be like why and she goes same thing happened to me last week and it's just like what so I'm not I'm not alone I'm not being like silly for thinking this I'm not being crazy for building this up in my head and then she's like no not at all and it's not just you as well because my friend felt the same thing and what I guess what like upsets me is that like I've met people very recently who've been um who've been oh yeah I had cancer I'll be like oh I did too and they're like wow I've never met anyone who's been through anything remotely like who's even had cancer never met anyone our age and then they just and all of a sudden just by having that one mutual connection by this one thing they feel better already and I feel better because it's like oh you're not alone like don't worry like we've been through this together we're now both five years in remission we actually got diagnosed in the same month me and this person I met the other day again hundreds of miles away but we somehow by coincidence met in the middle of nowhere here and then it's just like oh so like then 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 she was like oh so um yeah it's like it's a bit weird isn't it like I've still got this appointment I'm waiting for this I'll be like me too I'm waiting for that as well and then I'll be like oh um yeah I was like, oh, I'm not feeling like too great or whatever and she'd be like oh I get like that sometimes so it's nice for me to know that I'm not being silly when this this and that happen obviously if something serious you go to your GP or your consultant or whatever it's the little things like even like the emotional things like oh yeah like oh it's the day I got diagnosed today like oh it's a bit like a somber day but like I'm actually kind of like happy because it shows how far I've come and then she'd be like same and then she'd be like oh do you get like a bit deep sometimes and just think wow imagine if this hadn't have happened I wouldn't have known you and I'd be like yeah like we can literally relate over so many different things but it's just because we've had such a similar experience at a similar age and it's really like we need I feel like we need to get better at helping people who aren't like I'm fairly loud and fairly like I'm extrovert I feel like I'm quite approachable but for people who are the complete opposite who are introverts who like are scared of going out and making connections I feel like we need to get better at helping other people get the same access to support and services and even access to other people so that they can talk and relate so they don't feel alone because it's not nice to feel alone even no no amount of counselling is gonna fix the fact that you've got something and you don't know if it's normal because you're not sure if anyone else goes through the same thing you feel so much better when someone else says I have that too don't worry yeah, um, I think this, it is really important and it's something that loads of people are trying to kind of improve, um, but we can, all, we can always do better. Um, but Brad, who was on series one, has set up basically a peer-to-peer support network called Alike. Um, and yeah, like people like Brad and organizations like Teenage Cancer Trust and Ellen MacArthur and Trekstock and Copperfield and all of these organizations that are facilitating this connection um, it's crucial and I guess it goes back to what we were saying before as well about how important supporting those organizations are how important it is to support those organizations because um these these connections are crucial especially for young people yeah I feel like another thing is I know you're always going to leave people out 
but I feel like we need to get better at being we are getting way better at being more inclusive but it's people who don't necessarily have access to online or are scared of using the internet or we need to get better at helping people to find the resources in the first place. So we are down to the last section of Afterthoughts and we have brought back uh, series one favourites for the last section, which is Don't Laugh. Uh, and we think it's important to talk about the funny side of uh, an experience of cancer because there are moments that are funny and amusing and it's important to share those as much as it is to share the harder moments as well. So Bab, it's over to you to tell us a story uh, for the Don't Laugh section. So one thing that I, I'm not good at is uh, recovering from anesthesia. It takes me a while to get back with it. I mean, it takes me a while to wake up normally, but let's put it this way, after you've had that, there's no waking me up. Um, so normally I'd be like, okay, I'd always, like before when I'd have operations, even before like, um, before like tr before treatment the line and stuff I'd always be like yeah I put in a massive food order at the hospital have a massive plate waiting for me after I come out wouldn't eat any of it and um so this time I had like gone in and woke up and obviously don't let you eat until you've um, they don't let you go they don't let you eat until you've gone no they don't let you go until you've eaten something <laughs> and so I had like a bit of a sandwich, funny enough, was tuna. Um, and then we got home and I'm pretty sure this was the one where I had my um, lymph node removed. So we got home and it was me and my dad were driving away from the hospital and they were like, are you all right? And I was like, yeah, they're like, what do you want to eat? And I'm someone who sometimes struggles with like greasy, really greasy food anyway, occasionally. Um, I was just adamant about having a kebab for some reason. I was like stuck on it. My nan had called us on the way home and she'd been like, oh, do you want us to make you anything? Do you want, do, do you want some fresh home food? And I was like, no, I want a kebab. My sister was like, are you sure that's a good idea? And I was like, yes, I'm having it. My parents were like, are you sure like you normally you feel a bit sick when you eat stuff like that and I was like I'm eating it I'm gonna eat it all I'm gonna finish it they're like are you take it easy no 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 I was so desperate for this kebab we took a detour on the way home I wouldn't even let them go all the way home they may have had to make a detour on the route drive an extra 20 minutes just to get me this kebab and chips for some reason <laughs> And um, so we get back, I sit down, don't want to wait, open it, start eating. I don't even think I had one bite and I felt so sick. I was actually about to throw up everywhere. My sister tried to give me water and I just couldn't have it. Woke up the next morning, smelt kebab. Didn't end well, I did not feel good at all. <laughs> <laughs> I could oh. see where that was going. Like, as soon as you started the story, I could see what was going to happen. And that, yeah, I love it. But it is where that I told you so, that I told you so never ended. They're, they're oh still God. going now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I bet if you ever have a kebab at home, your mum's like, told you so. <laughs> I love that. 
I, I remember waking up after, like I had, didn't have many surgeries, but I had some surgery before I had cancer and um, um, I like it had a, I had a blockage in my bowel and they, uh, I remember waking up and I'd had quite a major surgery and not speaking, see my parents beforehand. They'd kind of gone in and gone, right, you need to have this surgery. And, um, and I was under for, yeah, many hours and I'm sure it was really stressful for them. Like I was asleep, it's all fine and, and all this stuff. And like, I remember being, waking up and like, and seeing my mom, seeing my dad, seeing my brother there and they're kind of all huddled around. And like, first thing I did was just projectile vomit. <laughs> everywhere and then fell straight back to sleep <laughs> oh my god and that was like and, and and then that was kind of it and it was just I love really that. great that's the delights of uh, anesthetic i remember when i was coming when i came around from one surgery um they they always let chris in the room even though they weren't supposed to like they always let him in the recovery suite and um that's my my husband and um I was just chatting away to him, like off my face on morphine or whatever, like high as a kite. And then I just went, oh yeah, by the way, I've lost my nipple. Just like I dropped it in the park. <laughs> like not like they'd, they'd chopped it off. And he, he vividly remembers me just being like, oh yeah. <laughs> I bet some of this recovery, you know, like anesthesia recovery, like staff have some great stories of patients. Oh, I oh bet yeah. They do. I bet they oh do. yeah. You've got to, you've got to like, um, I guess in radiotherapy, like if you, if you get like that, you're not going to get those. So I think you need to change today. I think that's <laughs> like, I need, you need to email your uni right now and say, do you know what? I'm interested in it, but am I going to get any of these great stories? Like, am I going to find the lols in radiotherapy? That's all I'm looking for. Um, oh, Bab, honestly, it's been such a pleasure to have you on Afterthought. No, it's been a pleasure being here. I'm so grateful for this opportunity as well. It's like such a nice thing to be able to do. It's great. I've loved it. That's so good to hear. It's Yeah, it's been absolutely fab to have you on. And to be our first on uh, Series 2. like The teenage uh, years. Pow, pow, pow. Just a note, listeners, that Alice has just done a kapow, kapow, kapow movement that goes alongside this. And if anything, Alice, I think you lasted the whole episode without incredibly embarrassing yourself and showing that we're not teenagers. <laughs> like, and then there was this moment when you just, just did it. So, oh, yeah. Fair enough. Thing. Oh, well. I'm 32 and proud. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> So Alice, there we have it. That is episode one of series two of Afterthoughts, the teenage years with Bav. Um, so let's let's finish this uh, episode the same way that we've, we've been finishing every episode. I, I'm really interested to hear your afterthoughts on Afterthoughts. My afterthoughts on Afterthoughts, Toby. First of all, I hope Bav will forgive me for saying this. Uh, he's adorable. And secondly, um, yeah, just when Bav was talking, you know, it really reiterated to me the importance of this podcast. And it, yeah, I just, it, it made me remember why we do it. And um, I thought his, his stories were powerful and I thought that they really need to be heard. And um, I hope that our listeners enjoyed listening to Bav as much as I enjoyed listening to Bav. I was mesmerized. Um, what about you? What are your afterthoughts on 
afterthoughts today oh, i mean it's been it's so lovely to be back and like we were both slightly nervous and a bit like <laughs> oh we're gonna be rusty and like and bav was just incredible and mm. um i think he like he like there were so many stories that started popping back into my head when he was telling his stories and i hope our listeners are having that as well of those connections those different things that he was talking to us about i also think there was some he he talked a lot about charities i've only just kind mm. of looking down at my notes reflecting on that and how important uh they are to young people going through an experience of cancer and mm. we know that charities are going through an incredibly difficult time right now and the voices of young people telling the stories of how important they are seem seem so i just said important about five times but they do just they seem so important and so just it's great to be back wonderful to have storytellers like bav and can't wait to see what the rest of series two has me neither thanks for listening <laughs> If today's episode of Afterthoughts has brought up any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to speak to somebody about, we really recommend grabbing a cuppa with a friend or dropping them a message on WhatsApp. There are also tons of charities out there who can help you if you've been through cancer and need a bit of extra psychological support. Thanks so much to Teenage Cancer Trust for supporting Afterthoughts, the teenage years, and supporting teens and young adults diagnosed with cancer in the UK. The work they do is incredible. Find out more at teenagecancertrust.org. Afterthoughts is produced by Alice May Perkis and Toby Peach from Beyond Arts with sound design by Kieran Lucas.